0: Come on, I got some frameworks for you. What fresh hell? Laughing in the face of motherhood. A lot of people are irritated and annoyed by their in laws. With Margaret Abel's
1: and Amy Wilson. COVID toes means your feet will remain tiny forever. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas
0: so you don't have to. What about yourself? Yes. Hello, everyone. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And this week,
1: we are going to talk about how we're going to do this when everyone's doing it differently.
0: This being start to come out of our
1: hidey holes. I
0: feel like we've reached the full confusion stage of the <laughs> pandemic, Amy. Like, yes. I feel like we've always been in the full confusion phase, but this is like full confusion the musical. Like, everyone is just doing their own thing. I'm going to uh, I'm going to throw it
1: right away to an expert, Dr. Preeti Malani, who's an infectious disease expert, and she says that ramping down was easy. I mean, it felt hard, but doing it was easy. We just flipped a switch. Everybody, stay home. Stop doing all the things. And that reopening is totally complicated because there's no playbook, there's no template, there's no whistle. You know, it's just sort of like do what you want when you think you can, or at least aren't too worried that you can't okay and what
0: does that mean and also like i keep waiting for like super doc or like super virus man to like sweep in and be like okay kids here's what's going on and it just feels like instead it is this giant patchwork of information that is very hard to discern like- for anybody and i guess it's because the virus is new enough that nobody has the information but like it's just a morass of confusion. It's the unknown unknowns, right? Like there are
1: the known unknowns, the things we're not sure about the disease, like how long our antibodies going to be good. And then there are unknowns like, oh, we don't even realize that COVID toes means your feet will remain tiny forever or whatever.
0: We don't know. Right. And also like, how contagious is this disease exactly? What role do masks play in preventing the spread? How sick do you get depending on your age? Are kids safe from it or not? Like, it just feels like really, we just don't have any information. We have some information, but it feels like we've kind of been waving around with the information. And then there's been like, oh, no, everyone get inside. It's the most contagious thing ever. And it also affects children in this way. And there's like, well, maybe not. It doesn't seem to be... I find it very confusing. And I read a ton about it. It's not from not trying. No. I mean, I think you and I are
1: particularly informed. So for those of you who are new-ish listeners, Margaret and I are both sort of New York City local residents. And where we were, it's very real. It's very serious. I know a lot of people who have lost loved ones to it. And I know very closely that there is a widespread between, you know, dying of COVID and it being like a common cold, like not really, I can say that you can have a mild case of COVID and it can last for a long time. So what it means is a gray area, but to Us and our families, at least, it's not hypothetical, but I think people living in other parts of the country and in other countries who might be listening to this, it is hypothetical. It hasn't really hit where you are, and maybe it will and maybe it won't. And I think the people who are in the bubble like us where things are bad are like, how can you think it's not bad? Like you wait, you'll see. I mean, we hope that it doesn't come to them and it might not. And you're not a bad person for thinking this seems pretty hypothetical. This seems like overreach if you are somewhere where that's your experience.
0: And for sure, the devastation where we live seems in line, at least as a order of sacrifice to the economic impact, right? That like, yes, we see our businesses shutting down, but we also know friends who have had it, no friends who have died from it, no friends whose parents have died from it. Whereas like my in-laws live in a county where in the entire course of the outbreak, there have been 20 cases, one person has died from it. And they're in a county of tens of thousands of people. So for them, I think very understandable. I don't mean my in-laws. I mean everyone in that area. Their feeling is kind of like, why are we freaking out about this thing? Right. What is this again? Right. And then, of course, the dialogue has become like either you're a scumbag who doesn't believe in the virus or you've drunk in the Kool-Aid and you're on the crazy train with the virus and not super helpful, as it turns out, as a dialogue. No. And the choices have
1: been presented to us as never leave your house again or go exactly back to the way things were as those being the two options. And there's a lot there's a spectrum of choices in the middle. And I think that's where we're going to have to live for a long time, all of us. And so that's what I want to talk about
0: today. For sure. And I think there's also a big role in this of we now move into a period that is not they began with like virus prevention. Right. That was the first goal. Don't let it come to the U.S. Then that didn't work out. Then you go to virus mitigation. How can you get the fewest amount of people to get the virus? That's kind of second phase. And now we're in like a risk assessment phase how much I have a friend who's a nurse in the city dealing with this all day, every day at a major New York City hospital. And she wears full hazmat gear all day. And then at night, walking through Central Park on the way back to her apartment. She doesn't wear a mask and she stays more than 12 feet away from anyone she comes in contact with. But she's had people yell at her in Manhattan in Central Park for not wearing a mask. And she's kind of like, I need 20 minutes of my day where I don't have a mask on my face, where I'm not in my apartment. So I'm walking home without a mask. And at that point, she's like, I do not believe as a medical professional, I am giving anyone else the virus from 20 feet away. Certainly, the mask is not playing a role in that if it's coming off my clothing, whatever, I don't think I'm giving it to you. But she's like, and for myself, at a certain point, if I'm getting it, by walking without a mask through Central Park, then it wants me more than I don't want to get it. (laughs) And it's like, right at a certain point, like, we're gonna have to make decisions like how badly do I not want to get this virus?
1: I mean, in Many cases, you and I would say, just keep your eyes on your own paper, as the nuns used to say to me in Catholic school. Like, don't worry about what other people are doing. You know, it's the way you're doing things. But of course, this is
0: different. It's like that little meme video. You know, that little girl in the back seat who's like, "Worry about yourself." Yeah, what about yourself? Yes. What about yourself? Yes, <laughs> that's right. Normally, that's where we come out on this. Worry about yourself. Right. But in this case, right, other
1: people's risk calculations affect your own risk calculations, and And so, you know, yeah, I don't think it's good to spend too much energy being the mask police. But on the other hand, it does make your safety a little less safe for each person who experiments with their own safety in your presence. Like, it's so complicated. And yet we have to decide, like, is it time to
0: go visit the grandparents yet or not? I want to talk about today that. And I do think within that category, Risk assessment is a great way to think about that because you are putting together a variety of factors. My dad is 85 years old. If I were to go two years without seeing him, I am really in some risk of not seeing him again. Therefore, is the risk of possibly giving him the virus where does it fall? Like you're actually making risk calculations, and I feel like it gives you more of a sense of control. Yes.
1: Well, I have a bunch of different sort of formulas to consider as you're
0: making these decisions, because there's a lot of good approaches. We need like a risk assessment calculator, like put in the age of the person, put in their likelihood of dying, and then put in the likelihood of not seeing them again. Like you need an algorithm, basically. Yes. And there are a bunch of good ones.
1: And one of the ones I kept seeing in my feed that we're going to talk about today is Emily Oster is an economist, and she's a parent, and she wrote a book called Crib Sheet. And she's a really good parenting newsletter about managing risk around all sorts of things. So, of course, right now it's about COVID. And her thing is, you want an answer from me, people will write to her and say, the baby's coming in October and my parents want to come to the hospital and should they? And she's like, I can't answer that for you, but you don't need an answer. You need a way to decide. And so... That's what we're going to talk about.
0: Good point. This is what we just said. We're geniuses as usual because the experts are totally backing us up. <laughs> yes. So let's talk about the types of
1: risk that we are considering and how they affect us because that's one sort of metric way to look at this. I got these from Liana Wen. She is the former health commissioner of Baltimore and she wrote an article for the Washington Post. Like here are some types of risk you're considering and here's how to categorize them because it helps you sort of understand them. So the first one is pooled risk, which is like your friend being yelled at in Central Park. When you engage in high-risk activity and you are around others, you are increasing their risk. That's pooled risk. Although you're not by walking by them without a mask at 20 feet. But okay, yes. Well, that's just it. I did just read, I think it was Emily Oster. She just said, like, you know, keep in mind, we haven't yet. There have been cases at, you know, choir rehearsals and birthday parties inside with lots of people. We haven't yet had a case that we trace back to walking by somebody outside who wasn't wearing a mask. We can't say it hasn't happened, but we don't know it has.
0: Right. Although it's very difficult to know, right? I mean, that's the other thing. Then you see people on Twitter who are like, I've been fully quarantined for three months and I got it. And you're like, wait, what does that mean? But it's also anecdotal evidence. It may not be very good. Like it's just very hard. That's the X factor.
1: Did the Domino's pizza guy come at some point because then, you know, the vacuum sealed jar was opened? Yeah. Did you see? This is just a sidebar that is worth mentioning because it's so funny. Did you hear that Chuck E. Cheese... They were putting their... Nobody's going to Chuck E. Cheese,
0: right? I mean, if you're going to Chuck E. Cheese, I almost have to take my hat off to you at this point. But yes, I have an easy answer. If you're wondering if you should go to Chuck E. Cheese, I'm pretty sure about the answer. (laughs) We've all been looking for an excuse not to go to Chuck E. Cheese for years. And we haven't. If you're still going, I don't know what's happening with you.
1: So, of course, no Chuck E. Cheeses are open. And they're like, you know, they need to make a dime too. So they were putting Chuck E. Cheese pizza up on Grubhub and DoorDash and all these apps. And nobody was buying it. Right. So they renamed themselves in some areas Pasquale's Pizza. Okay. And I guess Pasquale is a very minor character in the Chuck E. Cheese universe. It's his friend or something.
0: Universe? I've never done that deep a dive into (laughs) that. And people were
1: like, oh, I'll order from this Pasquale's Pizza place. And we're unwittingly ordering Chuck E. Cheese pizza in their home. Which, you know, thanks for existing Chuck E. Cheese. But if you have to fool people into ordering your pizza during a quarantine, you might want to revisit your um, pizza recipe.
0: I mean, that's hilarious. (laughs) What is there to say, really? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Chuck E. Cheese's pizza, no offense, Chuck E. Cheese. You don't go there for the pizza. No,
1: you go there for the shared surfaces.
0: (laughs) But I like that they found a workaround. (laughs) They
1: found a workaround, which, like, good for them. That's the point, right? All right, so the next type of risk is cumulative risk and this was a sort of good metric that Leona Wen suggested that you might want to say like batch your trips if you have to go to the post office and the grocery store and get a haircut like do all those things on one day and then stay home for a week or if you are somebody who has to be in the office right now maybe don't also go to the birthday party where everybody's standing around outside like sort of each risk adds on a list in a cumulative way. Of course, not one plus one, but that's a way to think about it.
0: Right. And you're making a good point, which is there are two points of risk overall. Don't get the virus. Don't give the virus to a ton of people, right? They're different things. Right. Taking chances where you get the virus, look at your own paper, worry about yourself. I don't have any to say about you not getting the virus. But don't give the virus to a ton of people is worth spending a lot of time thinking about. So like, I want to go to a birthday party that is important to me, you go, then don't go run errands every day that week, because you've put yourself at risk of getting it. And now try not to spread it to on seven full days before you know if you have. Yeah, yeah. It's like little things like
1: maybe you know, wait to top off the gas tank until you really need gas, that sort of stuff. It's a way to lower risk. Okay. And then the third one is collective risk. I don't totally understand the difference in this, but she says, you know, there can be a scenario where everybody's six feet apart, but just inherently 30 people six feet apart is less risky than 500 people six feet apart. There's a collective risk, which sounds to me like pooled risk, but somehow they're a little different. (laughs) I'm a student here.
0: Yeah, what's the difference between those two? I'm not exactly sure, but I guess the point is like, pooled risk is the people in the pool at Lakes of the Ozarks, right? That like you're all engaging in a high risk activity together. Mm -hmm. Collective risk is that you're trying to be safe, but you're doing it with too many people. So you're upping the odds. I think that's what it is.
1: I think it's just like any group of 20 people is more risky than any group of 10 people. I guess that's what it is.
0: I've said it a million times. I'm not a fan of the slippery slope argument because I find it is often kind of dopey, like, well, if you do this, at least this. But I do think that starting to take risks after being quarantined is a very slippery slope. Like, oh, well, we'll just stop over and see our friend. Well, that was really fun. We'll just stop over and see our other friend, you know, and then you sort of like, I think that's why it's hard to be in the middle. Like, I know what it looks like. It's like dieting, right? I know that I can only eat celery. And I know that I can eat anything I want. But eating a reasonable amount of food every day is really hard for me, you know? Yes. Like I can starve. I don't like to do it, but I could. But it's just finding that middle ground is hard. I can stay inside and see no one, or I can have a normal life. Right. But how this middle ground. We're going to keep talking about it after this break. Bombas makes the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. I am actually happy when I open my sock drawer and I see those bombas peeking out. Amy, they spark joy. I'm glad to hear that. And
1: you wouldn't think that socks could spark joy, but I know that you're right because I feel the same way. I mean, who would have thought it, Amy? Who would have thunk it? They're like a little bit of happiness in my morning when I have bombas to put on because they they just get all the little details right. The cotton is snugly in a way that I can't fully express. There's no seam. <laughs> And there's a part across the middle that's like knit a little differently. So it sort of hugs the arch of your foot. It makes me happy. And I don't care what people say. I love Bombas. I
0: want you to work on expressing about the toe seam, Amy. That's an assignment for (laughs) you. These socks do more than keep your feet cozy though, Amy. For every pair you purchase, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. We're talking 34 million pairs of socks and counting through their nationwide network of three thousand giving partners. Give a pair when you buy a pair and get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash laughing. That's B-O-M-B-A-S.com slash laughing for 20% off your first purchase. Bombas.com slash laughing. The hard thing about being a mom is that you have to be the outpost for your kids' anxiety while also managing your own anxiety. Mm. Taking on other people's stress is part of the job description, but then how do you manage that for yourself? That's when BetterHelp
1: is there for you with confidential and convenient counseling in a safe, private, online environment. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating the right therapeutic match for you. You get access to a broad range of expertise that might go well beyond what's
0: actually available in your area. And BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. Send a message to your counselor anytime. Get timely and thoughtful responses plus weekly video or phone sessions. Start living a
1: happier life today. Go to betterhelp.com slash fresh and use the code fresh to get
0: 10% off your first month of better help. That's better help. H-E-L-P. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash fresh and use the code fresh to get 10% off your first month of BetterHelp counseling. Okay, we're back. I think here's a super complicating factor that I think everyone I know is dealing with. We have family who are dealing with this in different ways. We have, someone said to me, every couple has a epidemiologist and a virus denier, basically. (laughs) Like one person is ready to take, somebody put on Twitter the other day, I need to know what's going on with the couples where one person is wearing a mask and the other isn't. And it's like, right. How do you deal with this when people close to you are not seeing it the same way you are? Complicated.
1: Carolyn Hacks, you know, she is, she's the advice columnist for the Washington Post. Great advice columnist. Never heard of her, but I like advice columns. I saved this. I'll put the link to this column in the show notes for this episode. You can click or tap wherever you're listening right now or go to com. So anyway, the question of Carolyn Hacks was a woman whose in-laws really miss the grandkids, right? We're really like laying the guilt on like, oh, come on you know, it's fine. It's been so long. We really want to see them. But this mother felt like that her in-laws were not taking proper precautions in their everyday lives. And she couldn't control that. I mean, she could post some stuff on Facebook, but they're adults, but she didn't want to bring the kids over yet. She just didn't feel safe about doing that. And her in-laws were perceiving this as a very personal rejection. And what you do.
0: Okay. Every single person in the country is nodding their heads right now. Right. Everybody has a sharpened pencil out. <laughs> because this is playing out right. everywhere, right? And I'm going to gently say that there are some political fault lines that have been drawn here too, that I think makes it even more complicated that there is somewhat of a feeling that like people on different political sides of the divide have different feelings about the virus and so it's landmine orama around this. Yes. And I think the issue of grandparents wanting to see the grandkids, this is where risk assessment starts to come in, right? So if you have grandparents who are let's say 65 years old and they have to take two planes to come see you, And they have not been social distancing at all. And you have been completely in quarantine. There's a ton of factors there to consider, right? 65 is not a great age to get the virus. And they've got probably 20 good years left in them, minimally, hopefully they're taking two different planes. So there's a lot of risk factors in that trip, right? They're then going to land. They can't quarantine before seeing you realistically. So now they're coming straight into your house from the airport. There's like a lot of points of risk in that formula. Right. But
1: some people would say, well, if they get the kids sick, then that's less risky than kids who haven't been quarantining, visiting grandparents who have. Uh, yeah, I don't
0: I think that's pretty fair. I've been thinking about this a lot. And what I think is that people are allowed to assess their own risk for themselves. Right. And their kids. So if grandparents say, and especially, I mean, I'll speak for my own dad who's 85 years old, he's sort of like, I don't want to go two years without seeing anybody. And if that involves some risk of getting the virus, I've had a good run. And I'd rather be together with people. We'll take all the reasonable precautions that we can, but I'm going to kind of take my chances because I don't want to shut down my life for a long period of time at 85 because I don't have a lot of time left maybe and because this is a risk I have decided I want to take. I feel that that is a completely respectable point of view and it's fine if you want to take that risk on for yourself. And then as part of that, he understands I will in this period of risk stay home and not possibly give it to 100 other people. Right. Now, if that person is coming into your house to give you and your minor children coronavirus, that's a different calculation. But within that calculation is the fact that you are probably at less risk. This is where it's a little bit of a question mark. Are you at less risk of getting super sick?
1: Don't know. Don't know. Well, let's. can I tell you what Carolyn Hack said? I thought this was a good thing to remember. She said that this mom who doesn't want the in-laws to come over for dinner because they haven't been quarantining and they really have, she said, you're avoiding contagion for your own family. You're not avoiding your in-laws. If they choose to take offense and make it about them, then that is their decision. But if the only way to not offend them is to resume having dinner with them every week, then you have a choice. You can risk contagion or you can risk unintentionally offending them. Those are your two choices.
0: And as we always say on the podcast this goes across all sorts of things. You can always risk, if your in-laws want you to spend every holiday with them, but you want to spend some holidays with your parents and your in-laws are going to be offended that you are snubbing them on holidays, too bad, so sad at a certain point. I mean, it is your choice to make the choices that are right for your family. And it is other people's rights to be offended by those choices. And you can't make those, you can't, square that circle, right? You can't make that turn out great for everybody. Right.
1: And I think if you're on the other side, if you're somebody who has taken advantage of a little more freedom and you have a loved one or a sister or the cousins who are still taking it much more seriously, it's definitely not your job to convince them that they're overdoing it, that they're being worrywarts, that they shouldn't be taking the precautions that they're taking.
0: And I will also lay in people's path the challenge that a lot of people are irritated and annoyed by their in-laws. And just check yourself. Are you using these (laughs) same rules equally for all people? You know what I mean? Yeah. Are you using this as any kind of excuse to rub your hands together and be like, we don't have to see our in-laws for a year? I think that is worth examining. And I think, what do we always say? Work from your point of maximum generosity. Is it possible that you could offer your in-laws, we can hang out in the yard in chairs that are six feet apart outside on a sunny day? That seems pretty reasonable to me at this point. Your in-laws should be allowed to take their own risk, but I agree that you never have to risk contagion to your own family. That is an absolute acceptable boundary. Just make sure that that you're kind of using the same rules for both people. And I think it is complicated. We're able to see my dad because of the structure of where we live, because we're able to do it more safely. You're able to drive there. We're able to drive there. Uh Uh-huh. It's a lot harder to see my in-laws. They have to take two planes, and it's more complicated. But am I pretty wary about the dynamics of, like, we're seeing my family, not my husband's family? Like, it is worrisome to me. And I think that this is where like, just really openly communicating about it. And like, thank goodness, my in-laws basically are extremely understanding and do not think like, I'm banishing you like I'm not having that problem. And it would be more complicated if they were bringing that energy to it. But it's hard. And I think keeping those lines of communication open and trying to find ways to do it is the right way to go. Emily Oster
1: said something about this specific situation that I thought was actually really helpful. She said, make sure that you're being really specific about what it is you're disagreeing about, because you might see that there's a mismatch in expectations. If your in-laws are hearing you're not coming over for dinner anymore, you're not coming over for dinner until there's a vaccine in in a year and a half, Mm -hmm. and you're saying Can you not come over for dinner until, you know, for another three weeks, until I get to go see my sister's new baby and make sure that's all okay? And then, you know, what's the finish line and what are the parameters around what you're disagreeing about? It probably would really help. That's
0: a great insight. And I think maybe even say like, hey, let's every other Tuesday have a conversation about how things are looking, you know, and be clear that you're keeping the dialogue open, you know? hey, let's once a month sit down. Okay, I don't feel comfortable today, but let's talk July 15th and see if I feel more comfortable and like make sure that you're not making it sound like never. And then the other thing I would really suggest, and this is something that I feel like I've had an insight about overall in terms of make it quarantine coronavirus, the fun version in the way that is most possible. So my daughter's class had a second grade production of The Wizard of Oz. And the idea that it was canceled was like so upsetting. It's just a very special production. They do it as second graders. Everyone's been looking forward to years. Her older brothers have both been in it. It's the biggest deal of the year. And it, of course, got canceled because it was... It was happening the week after. And so we are now doing like a Zoom version. And it's just turned out to be so cute and winning in a lot of ways. Like the kids have gotten really creative. And like one small example is the my daughter plays the scarecrow and the tin man. And we kept saying to kids, like, try to find stuff around your house that you can pass, like that can be the props. And then they pass them through the screen. And we kind of taught them how to do that and the little girl who plays Dorothy for the Tin Man scene, she turned to her mom. And she's like, I need like a oil can for the Tin Man. And the mom handed her a can of WD-40. And <laughs> it's so funny in the show when they use WD-40 to loosen up the Tin Man, you know, and they're just acting it out. They're all in different screens and stuff. But we were saying later, like, it's fun to lean into the creativity of it, you know? And like, I think lean into the creativity of like, hey, we can't see you, but what if you guys came to your window? We got walkie-talkies. The kids could play in the yard and then walkie-talkie you. And like the kids would get super into it. And so there are opportunities to find new versions of fun that do not intersect at this like bad pain point of you hate us, you won't let us see the kids and you're trying to give us a virus, you're awful. (laughs) Right,
1: Something that's really helping me right now is to try to remember as a, you know, the er planner, I have an extended family. I have five brothers and sisters. My kids are three of 14, soon to be 15 grandchildren. And we often all get together over the summer. And that was, you know, eons ago planned for a certain week in August at a certain place. And that time and place can't happen now. And it's taking up some bandwidth for me, like, "Uh, but could we try this? Maybe this would work. Maybe that would work. And feeling like I need to fix what's going to feel right in August now. And that's also sort of folly, right? Like, we don't know what's going to feel right six weeks from now. So worry about it six weeks from now. Don't worry about what's going to happen when the baby's born. And what if your sister-in-law, you know, is still working? Like, worry about it when it happens. Don't start putting parameters around what if school can't reopen now.
0: And I think it's possibly a good exercise for a lot of us in, I am making the decision that I think is right, regardless of how other people will perceive me. Mm -hmm. Might people be like, Amy is so uptight, we're trying to have fun, and she's obsessed with the virus. They might. But I think it might be a good exercise for a lot of us, you know, pleaser females, to say, this is the decision that is right for us. And we're sticking to it. And no is a complete sentence. And we will be with you when we feel comfortable. And that's how we're gonna do this thing. Will you say that? Can we record you saying that and then we can all display it for that?
1: <laughs> yes, I will.
0: I will write a calligraphy note that you can print out <laughs> that says, This is how we are going to proceed until we are comfortable. And that is my full statement. I've referenced before my favorite thing ever, which is E. E. Cummings was offered to like be an honorary chair at some university. And his reply letter, I'll try to find it so we can post it. It said, I am afraid I cannot accept your offer for secret reasons. And that has become like such a touchstone to me. Like, you know, people ask you to do stuff and you don't want to do them. And most, my instinct is always like, I will say yes and be miserable. And now I'm like, I cannot do that for secret reasons. I mean, I think it in my head and then I try to say no. When we come back,
1: let's talk about like, okay, time to make the decision. What are some useful frameworks to make the right decision. Beachbody On Demand is back as a sponsor this week. If you're like me, you discovered online fitness as a way to keep your sanity during these last couple of months. And with Beachbody On Demand, you get instant access to 1,300 different workouts you can stream anytime.
0: I first learned about Beachbody, and you may have too, from P90X, which is an insanely effective workout, I will say, fun and highly intense, but Beachbody also has yoga, bar, dance. There's a kids and family collection to get everybody moving. It's a huge, huge range of classes.
1: And some of the classes get you results fast. By the time it would have taken you to drive to the gym, you did the 10-minute trainer, you're done. You can use Beachbody on your computer, tablet, phone, smart
0: TV, anywhere you are. Listeners of the What Fresh Health podcast can try Beachbody for free. You can get a special free Beachbody trial membership when you text laughing to 30. 3030. 30. You will get free full access to the entire Beach Body on Demand
1: platform. All the workouts, all the support, all the content totally free by texting laughing to 303030. 30, 30. Check it out.
0: And now, Summer Rules last year versus Summer Rules this year from the What Fresh Help podcast. Last summer, honey, have you seen the kids? Hi, huh, I guess they must still be playing at the neighbors this summer i love books my favorite series is diary of a
1: wimpy kid and my weird school so like there's this other book it's my favorite lulu and the brontosaurus it's about this like spoiled girl and she
0: i am literally begging you to stop talking to me and go outside last summer one piece or tankini this summer do i really have to put a
1: bra on to run to the store Last summer.
0: I love summer because it is such a great time to eat clean and healthy and get plenty of outdoor exercise. This summer. Yes, I am eating a chicken pot pie in bed at 4 p.m. And no, I don't need to explain myself. Last summer. Gosh, we've got the trip to Texas to see Grandma. And then after that, we'll drive up for a week to see your cousins. And almost right after that, we'll be off to the shore. This summer. Guys, if you are on good behavior, later on we'll go over to the Martin's backyard for a little while and I'll let you stare at them through the kitchen window. Last summer. Okay, so you'll do 2 weeks of robotics
1: camp, then 2 weeks of mandarin camp, and we'll finish off with a 4-week intensive introduction to chemical engineering this summer. Listen, I found an old yoga mat in the attic. I think if you spray it with the hose,
0: you could probably use it as a slip and slide. This has been Summer Rules Last Year versus Summer Rules This Year from the What Fresh Hell podcast. Amy, give me a useful framework, would you? Come on. I got some frameworks for you. Make with the
1: useful framework. The one that I've seen the most recently, like I said, was Emily Oster put up this post that was called Grandparents and Daycare. And she said right at the beginning, you know, I'm not gonna be able to answer the questions for you, but here's the framework. And I thought this was very useful. So her framework, the first thing to do is to frame your question. Say your question is, should I send Charlie to day camp this summer? make sure as you frame the question that you are thinking about the alternative, like I'm going to send Charlie to day camp or hire a babysitter. I'm going to send Charlie to day camp or wait two more weeks and then reassess and then maybe do it. It doesn't have to be, I'm going to send Charlie to day camp or, you know, give up my career and never work again, right? Make sure you're understanding, you're deciding between two things
0: and then make the two things accurate. Also, I think you can reframe other people's questions. So when the question is, will you let me come or do you hate me? <laughs> you can reframe that question is, is it reasonable to have this person come visit? Right. Frame it for yourself. Or is it reasonable to have this person come visit now
1: or wait two weeks? Right. Or alternatively, because this might be the right decision, is it better to have the grandparents come visit Now, before the kids go back to day camp, that might be the right calculus. Yeah. But the alternative is you're choosing between two things. You're not choosing between all or nothing.
0: Yeah. And I think this framing the question is a lot of where this stuff is going wrong. Now that I think about it this way, is this person a mask denying virus moron or is this person (laughs) safe? Yes. That's not a great question. Is it a good calculated risk for us to get together is the real question and I mean, we all feel this, like fight the instinct to frame the question in a way that is not winnable. Right.
1: The next thing she says is then you have to evaluate the risk of what you're doing. She says, you know, what is the actual risk of serious illness from doing this? Now I think she gets in this post a little simple on like, for most people, the virus is very mild. And I'm here to tell you that there's a lot in the middle between asymptomatic and in the hospital, but kids as a whole, you know, epistemologically, seem to be less at risk for serious illness. So that's something to consider, as is the risk of serious illness to your immunocompromised brother-in-law or grandparent, right? Like these are all things to consider. Then you also have to consider the benefits. And I love this. Emily Oster says, joy is a benefit. And it made me think of what your dad said about, I'm 85. I'm going to have a little bit of life right now. The joy is a benefit that's worth it to him.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really fair call that people
1: underestimate quite a bit. And then, you know, you make your decision. And then, as we like to say, then you make your decision, the right decision to have made.
0: Yeah. And you are comfortable enough in your decision to kind of face the slings and arrows of wildly passive aggressive comments in your direction, you know, which I think is happening to a lot of people, which is like, yeah, you know, Amy, she's so obsessed with the virus. Like, okay. I mean, I guess that's how you feel about it. And I think after really carefully thinking about it, I've made the right decision for my family. Now go blank off.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. You're also going to sometimes be the person who is taking a risk you feel is fair and somebody close to you might think is completely ridiculous. And you have to be able to withstand those arrows as well.
0: I think also there's another thing that we haven't talked about. This is so complex, guys. Whose decision is this? So let's Mm. take my dad. My dad's 85. He has four kids. They all three of them have spouses. He's got nine grandkids in that group of people. There are different opinions about how much risk he should be taking. Right. So if we want to go visit him and I'm making this up, this is not happening. My brother is staunchly committed to the fact that he should not have visitors. I have come to the. It's not happening. So I'm making up a hypothetical. But like, I think fundamentally it is my dad's decision. But I also maybe have to weigh in the fact that, like, if I accidentally give my dad coronavirus, my brother may never speak to me again. Like, there's a lot that goes into this. It's not straight lines. Mm -hmm. But I think keeping the lines of communication open and saying, this is the problem. We're terrible as humans at risk assessment, right? You can read a million stories about, like, how people misassess risk in their lives. And this, we don't even have enough information to assess the risk. And so on the one hand, you don't want to be a person who gives coronavirus to a hundred other people, a thousand other people. But we are kind of collectively agreeing that we are the at the end of the phase where we will just stay inside with doors shut for three years. So now what?
1: Right. We can't get to zero risk, right? That's not possible for a long time to come. So we have to mitigate the risk, not wait until there isn't any risk.
0: Yeah. And so and then I think letting people, the only place where we're saying stay out of other people's way is let people make, you make your risk assessments for yourself and let other people make their risk assessments for themselves. Liana
1: Wen, who I talked about before, she has some harm reduction strategies she talks about because she's sort of saying like, you have to mitigate the risk. You can't wait for it to be gone and you can't stay inside forever. So here's how you can mitigate your risk. And she has three variables. And these are obvious, but it's a really good way to sort of get your hands around the problem. And here's how I'm going to address it in this particular question that I have. So the three variables are proximity, activity, and time. And she said you can decrease your risk by modifying those variables. So she used the example of like, I really want to see my friends we haven't seen in a while. Okay, do it outside, bring your own cups. Don't stay very long, right? And don't bring the other friends also. Those are all, you're working with the dials there and mitigating your risk with each of those variables. Does that make sense?
0: This is such a great way to think about it. And this is worth doing some research. And Amy's done some of it, so come to the website too. But this is a great way to think about it. It's like... What do they say? If then, you know, if I want to see my dad, then we should do it outside. Like, it's not just a question of like two doors. Do I risk killing my dad or do I never see him again? Like, let's put some mitigation in here and see if we can figure it out. So I'm not going to get on a plane to go see my dad. But if we can drive there and be extremely careful at stops and not be around other people and just drive there, and then we can... Take the chance at that point. It's, but we're mitigating it to a certain degree. And then this thing of like, yes, can you get together with people outdoors? Can you? One of the things we're talking about a lot for the summer is like quarantining. Like, okay, let's figure out the three or four families that we're going to be together with.
1: Right. I think that's a good strategy. It's complicated because you have to have some sort of agreement of like, this is the level of risk we're all engaging in when we're not together, right? We're only going to the grocery store. We're only going to these same three places that we all go. And it's sort of the honor code, but joy is a benefit. Yeah. So here's something I'm dealing with right now. My daughter has a ceiling fan with a light that's in it. And the light is coming on in the middle of the night
0: sometimes. I'm not sure why. I cannot wait to hear how this relates to coronavirus.
1: Well, I really need to have an electrician come over and fix the fan. Because I've looked it up. You know, I like looked up the style of the fan. Yeah, you kind of need an electrician to reset. She has a remote she doesn't even use. And so turn off the remote, you know, cut off that, whatever, do hickey, I'm not an electrician. And then it'll stop doing that. But I have to have an electrician come into my house and I've been putting it off and putting it off because of the risk to my household and nameless electrician by bringing somebody into my house to fix something that can kind of wait, except now it's happening like three, four times a night. And she's like, mom, can you please get this light in my room fixed? So I think it's time to have an electrician come over to fix the fan in her room. But you know, these are the things you can kind of overthink, except in this situation, maybe not. There's another, um, Vox put out a very good sort of image. Like if you're going to take risks, here's what you need to consider. And at home, their number one tip for at home was like, don't let people in your house who don't live there. That's the number one way to keep your home a, a safe space.
0: But I mean, we're not on the prairie, Amy. I mean, <laughs> we're four months into this. Someone's got to fix my washing machine. <laughs> Can't we just leave the house while they're there? <laughs> Can't she just wear a mask at night? And then come back after they leave? Yeah, well, you can. That's a risk that's probably worth taking. We did
1: have a leak a month ago, like the kids' bathroom was leaking like through the floor, like a plumber came in. Like there's need to do and wait to do, and I guess I'm moving from the need to do into the like okay, I don't have to wait any longer to do this nice to do thing, but yeah, that's how I'm coming out of my hidey hole. That's what I'm working on right now.
0: I think when you think about mitigation, it's just there's a very human instinct to personify. What's the word where you give like human traits to something inanimate? It's like anthropomorphize, anthropomorphize yeah. the virus, like it's gonna hang out where it's gonna jump on that guy after we leave. It's like, you have to, I think it is important when you're doing the mitigation to be like, let me think through all the steps. I do think like, oh my gosh, I need to get my house clean and my house... Yes, I think, think of it from the housekeeper's point of view. Like, is it worth asking her to take the risk to be hanging around your family all the time? I would skip it. But I think the idea of like, how is the virus getting on my friend walking through a park 20 feet away from people in a breezy park? I don't think it is. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but I think we have to start just really thinking through the like points of danger and realizing that sometimes they're never zero. Could it happen? Anything could happen.
1: Yeah, we have to make realistic choices, right? Yeah, this is we've come to the point where we can't just stay inside 100% of the time for the next three years. That's not feasible either. So we have to make choices around this. We are forced to do this in this moment.
0: Yeah. And your choice could for sure be like, I'm going to YouTube this lamp until I figure out how to do it myself, because I don't want to take the risk. But I think in that example, and in other examples, there's probably a way to do it that's pretty low risk. If I need to make this
1: decision now, like I don't need to worry about how I'm going to get to see. I have a new niece or nephew being born this month, and I am. Believe me, if I will do whatever I have to do to see that baby, even if it's, you know, down a hallway behind two glass doors, right? Like I'm going to see that baby.
0: Yeah. And like, not for nothing. It's summer right now. Like, we don't know if this is still going to be around in the fall. It's a lot easier to stand outside someone's window and look at a baby in August than it is in January. That's true. So uh, hopefully by January, someone will, (laughs) my son at night, he's very anxious. And at night, he's like, Mom, who's working on it? Who's working on it? And I'm like, oh. uh, okay, Bill Gates is working on it. He's rich and smart. <laughs> okay. Uh, let uh, Google scientists and I'm like, these are who's working on it. But that metaphor, it like stays with me like who's working on this? Someone please figure this out. Somebody do something. Get on it, guys. We have to go back inside by October the latest. Someone help us out here. You know what I'm going to say for this week? I'm going to say solving it. Solving it. Solving
1: it a little bit at a time. Because these are very personal decisions.
0: Yeah. I mean, we're not going to solve this, but you guys, we're going to have to figure out what's next and we're going to have to be smart. Wicked smart. We're going to be wicked smart and we're going to have to take some chances and we're going to have to stand our ground sometimes, men and ladies.
1: We want to hear how this is playing out where you are. And there's a bunch of ways you can tell us. You can come to our Facebook page. And our Facebook group at what Fresh Hellcast. there is always a lively discussion happening there.
0: Always lively. We're also on Twitter at WH Podcast. Amy likes to post helpful articles there. Yes, I will post links to all the studies
1: and stuff we've talked about today. And you can also find those on our website at
0: com. And if you're enjoying our videos, and let's be honest, you are, you're going to want to come find us on YouTube and wait for it, guys, TikTok. That's right. I said TikTok. My kids are so embarrassed, Amy, that we started a TikTok. They keep yelling at me about it. They're like really embarrassed that I'm going to like start dancing on there and one of their friends is going to fight it and they're going to have to like drop out of school and move to a monastery. Well, they might. They might. That's a risk that they should consider. Yeah, they're not considering it. They're like, mom, I'm getting a lot of this. Mom mom. Like you cannot be on TikTok. But we are on TikTok. So guys, come check it out. It's your choice. It's your choice. You decide for yourself if you're on TikTok. Yeah. Don't tag my kids. They don't have TikTok. So they'll never know what we're up to there.
1: Perfect. That sounds good.
0: And uh, guys, be safe as you start peeping out of your hidey holes. We'll talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. Goodbye.